A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you. Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that would come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country, where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens, who sent him to his farm to tend to the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough to eat, food to eat? But here I am, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers." So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field. And on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your father has returned and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends." But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf? He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. People always find something to complain about, right? I'm sure uh, I'm not in the minority there that uh, it's easy to complain about many things, you know, Japan, COVID, Navy, or really anything, right? Uh, Human beings like to complain. And today, the the Pharisees listening to Jesus today complain about Jesus, right? We can even find things that are wrong with Jesus, right? Complain about Jesus. Now, 
our, our complaining is not always valid, right? As we realize. But today the Pharisees complain, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Complain about that. And today, of course, we take this for granted. Jesus is reaching out to sinners. But I think a lot of the times uh, we don't always recognize how amazing that is. I'm grateful that Jesus did that because he, he reaches out to me, right? I realize that I am a sinner, and he welcomes me and eats with me, right? And so all of us who are called here today, we come grateful that Jesus Christ reaches out to sinners and eats with them. However, sometimes... We, uh, after spending so much time with Jesus, can sometimes become, forget about what kind of gift he gives us. I'll give you, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that's called familiarity breeds contempt, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? Now, sometimes I don't know whether, you know, not all familiarity breeds contempt, but I know for myself, uh, as I grew up, one example that I can see very clearly in my life was uh, I have two older brothers and one younger sister, and my younger sister always got in the way, right? I was very, you know, she was always, you know, trying to, trying to do stuff and always getting in the way. And let me tell you, I was a terrible older brother. Terrible. I was so, I had so much contempt for my sister that I didn't even realize it. And of course, I had a tone, you know, I'd talk to her different than i talked to everybody else, right? Have you ever seen that? Like, oh, I don't say anything wrong. Well... And I hear it now today, and it just makes me cringe to think of the way that I talk to her with a certain tone, right? A tone that put her in a different category than everybody else. Because I had this familiarity with her, right? I had this experience with her that even though that she was my sister, I had this familiarity of contempt, which came out even in the tone of my voice and everything that I said to her. Now, when I moved away for college... All of a sudden, she wasn't so bad. <laughs> All of a sudden, I, I could talk to her as a normal person. I didn't have as much contempt for her because there wasn't as much familiarity. Now, I would say it wasn't good that I moved away. What I should have fixed is my contempt right from the beginning. But I, I realize it now, and of course, I'm still not the perfect older brother. I still, um, still fall in many ways, fall short in that, in that realm but it certainly is one very clear example of my life where I've experienced that something that was close to me that I should have loved, should have cared for, instead had contempt for. Now, we ourselves uh, have a familiarity with, with many things in our life that sometimes we complain about. And maybe we don't have a contempt for, but I would say that certain times when we become so familiar with something, we can have a certain indifference to, right? Maybe we don't have a contempt, but we don't have the same amount of love or passion or care that we should. This happens a lot in marriages. Maybe there's not a contempt there, but there is maybe an indifference, right? Kind of the, the special care isn't taken that used to be taken. And that can happen and creep in so easily in our life. Well, I'd just like to say to... Uh, one thing we've been focusing on during Lent is the Mass. And I think the Mass is one thing that we have a great familiarity with, right? We know the Mass. We know what happens. We know the readings. 
We, we know the motions, but do we have a love and an understanding for it? Or have we been to Mass so many times, we have a familiarity with it that we have a certain indifference? Or, as when I was growing up as a kid, I even had a contempt for it. It's like, how fast can this get over, right? Um, we have a familiarity with it, which should hopefully help us dive deeper into it, allow us to love the liturgy more, just as we learn to love those people around us close, that are close to us in a greater way, as we learn more about them, as we spend more time with them, right? A best friend, we don't say, hey, I've learned enough about you, I'm good, I'll see you, I'll see you in a year, you know, I'm good. Best friend, we want to spend time with them. And even after we know everything about them, we still realize that there's more to learn about them. Well, the same thing with God, certainly. And the Mass is one of the most beautiful times, one of the closest opportunities, one of the times that He always invites us to, to spend time with Him, to celebrate with Him, to sit down and eat with Him, to have that familiarity that is so generous and so close that He offers us. The closest that he offers us is especially in the Holy Eucharist. In the Holy Eucharist, uh, in Holy Communion, he offers us his very self. There's no closer that we can get to Jesus in this lifetime than to receive Holy Communion. But yet, we're so familiar with it that a lot of the times we have an indifference to it. Hopefully we don't have a contempt, but we not, not always realize what we're receiving. I find it very similar to, again, we, we both take roles in the, uh, in the prodigal son. Both of the son who runs away, right, and needs to come back, go to confession, right, confess his sins uh, to recognize, yet the father welcomes us back well. Or we sometimes fall into the older son's category, where we have this familiarity with our father. A familiarity that doesn't realize what kind of gifts he wants to give us. Holy Communion is one of the greatest gifts that we could offer. Fulton Sheen had a, a good story. Actually, I just heard this from Father Melosha earlier today. He was talking uh, with some RCI students, so some people who were uh, thinking about becoming Catholic. And he, one of the women said, you know, Father, I... I uh, I believe everything about the Catholic Church, and it all makes sense, except for Holy Communion. We have the Scriptures, we have prayer. Why do we need the Eucharist? And this happened to be during World War II, and her husband was uh, in, in the Pacific, out to sea. And he asked her, he said, well, do you have a picture of your husband? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Do you write to your husband? Oh, we, we write pages and pages to each other. And he said, well, isn't that enough? Do you really need your husband? No, I, I need him. I want to hold him. I want to I be with him. I want to be one with him. Well, we ourselves also have that longing for Jesus. We certainly get to read his word, him speaking to us in Scripture. We know what he looks like, right? We talk to him often, but we should have a desire to be not just familiar with him, 
or just to not to just know him or hear about him or talk to him, but that desire to be one with him. And that's the amazing gift that we have in the gift of the Eucharist and Holy Communion here today and at every Mass. And that is the greatest gift that we have that Jesus Christ gives to us. Now, we want to be careful not to take, have a familiarity with it and take it for granted. And so there are a few things that the church asks of us to help prepare us so that we don't fall into a familiarity, but instead recognize the gift that it is. First of all, the church teaches that only those who are in the state of grace should receive communion. Now, this is for many different reasons. One of them is taking the words of St. Paul, who says, he who, drinks, he who eats or drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation upon themselves. And so we recognize that within this gift, that there are certain times when we need to, uh, that we need to uh, first come to him and repent before we're ready to receive right? Because maybe we've done something to separate ourselves so much that we need to first reconcile with him before we come back together. It's very similar again in marriage. If you have a fight, you need to first reconcile that fight before coming together again, right? And so we need to do the same thing with God as well. And that's part of the reason why we offer confession a half an hour before every Mass, because we want to be able to offer that opportunity so that you can prepare yourself properly to get in the state of grace, right? If there's something uh, that is preventing you from being one and receiving Jesus Christ with that. And so that's one of the first things that we always want to check. And that's one of the reasons why we do that examination of conscience at the beginning of Mass. Right? Let us take a moment to examine our conscience and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Is there anything separating us from God that needs to be confessed? Now, if it's just a venial sin, uh, we don't need to confess it, but actually we can just ask for the Lord's mercy, and that's why we, we, we do that short little confidier. But if we have a mortal sin, something that's killed us, killed our soul, right? A serious sin that we knew was serious and we committed anyways out of negligence or out of, out of disregard for Jesus, well then, we need to be brought back to life. The Eucharist is medicine and food for us in our journey, and sinners are welcome at this table. But someone who is dead in the spiritual life doesn't need medicine. They need to be revived. And that's where the sacrament of reconciliation and God's gift comes within. And so we need to properly prepare ourselves before coming in, in to receive the Eucharist. What are some other things that we do? Well, maybe we are ready to receive, right? We're in a state of grace, but again, we can prepare ourselves more. And so the church asks us to prepare even before we come. I hope that you're preparing your day, that Sunday is different than other days, right? It should be a day of rest. That's one of the commandments. It shouldn't be a day uh, that's the same as everyone else, every other day. It's not just the Sunday Mass obligation, but also to make it different. We also prepare before we come by fasting for an hour before receiving Holy Communion. So that's one of the things that we fast. Uh, it used to be midnight the night before where you couldn't even drink water the midnight before, which is why we always had really early Masses, you know, 
5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m. Mass was because people wanted to be able to receive Eucharist and then to be able to go eat. Now we only have an hour fast, which is pretty easy, especially if you've got a long homily uh, like today. Uh, then it's going to be basically an hour anyways, right? Almost. So you just need to make sure that you're not eating on your way to Mass or commendable to even an hour before Mass. So it's only an hour before receiving communion, but I think it is commendable to do it more. Why? Because we need to free up our soul, give God that space in our soul to receive him. And we do that by physical means because we're physical creatures by freeing up space in our stomach as well. Again, making it so that our stomach is not our God, but that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our God. As you come forward, as you prepare, we, we stand in line, and, and one of the things that the church asks us to do is to bow before receiving communion. It doesn't have to be a profound bow, uh, but it should be more than just a slight head nod. It should be a bend at the waist, and, and please take time to do that. We're not in a rush to receive communion. This isn't, let's see how fast we can get people through. This is, let's take our time, let's be reverent, let's receive and not just be familiar with the Eucharist in such a way that we are uh, indifferent to it. And so as you step forward, you can, you can bow uh, before you come right up to the Eucharist. So maybe there's a person in front of you. Go ahead and bow at that point and then be ready to receive the Eucharist. When you come forward, be ready to receive the Eucharist. And there's two different ways. One is on the tongue and ask you to come into the center uh, if you're going to receive on the tongue and to open up your mouth, or to first say amen, and then open up your mouth. Or, as you come up right away, please put up your hands so that I know that you're ready to receive communion. Don't wait to put up your hands, but put up your hands right away, ready. That way, I know, and the extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion know that you're ready to receive. One hand should be on top of the other, making a throne. They shouldn't be together side by side, because then sometimes the Eucharist can kind of fall in between the hands in some ways. It should be one hand on top of the other, okay? And after the priest or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion says the body of Christ, you all say what? Amen, Amen, right? And it should be audible so that the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion or the priest can hear it. The amen is not just, again, a familiarity. It's to say, yes, I believe that that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. I affirm with that statement and that I believe. And so we want to say amen at the end of that phrase. Certainly we ourselves, I hope that we have a great familiarity with Christ, so much so that we can come to him confidently at all times, just as the son went back to the father here in the prodigal son. But we don't want to be so familiar with him that we forget the reverence as well. That our familiarity might breed contempt or breed indifference. But instead, always live in gratitude of this great gift and desire him in the Holy Eucharist, this great gift that he's given us.